language sets the tone for building a culture. I wonder if many uh, couples even think in those terms, there is a culture in the home. Mm -hmm. Our house will have a culture. We're the ones who are going to build that culture. What do we want that culture to be like? What do we want its values to be? Those are worthy conversations for young couples to have. And you, Adam, have uh, written, was it for Our Sunday Visitor? Correct, yes. Have written a really marvelous article on fatherhood, which I liked very much and wanted to talk about during an episode of Tulsa Times. So uh, maybe we can go into this and and, uh, talk a bit about it. One of the things that I love about the article is that as I, you know, I've done much more pre-marriage preparation than than post-marriage um, counseling and so forth, a lot more pre-marriage counseling and so forth. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading through this, one of the thoughts that I had was that this would be so wonderful for young men to read an article like this so that they have something concrete and practical to understand what does it mean when I say the vocation of marriage. Because I suspect, and this has been proven in various times and Mm -hmm. circumstances that I've encountered, that many people think still that there's the vocation to priesthood or religious life, and then there are other secondary. Mm. And that's such a, a hard thing to overcome, the idea that marriage is somehow a default. Um, that I do because I am, don't feel called to, to be a priest. But th- an article like this will help people see that far from being a default, marriage is a very active, very heroic, uh, tremendously important uh, vocation. And so you've really captured that well talking about fatherhood, your, yeah. your own life and experience in being a father, and so I think it would help young men and young women. I mean, mm-hmm. you can make the the crossover, you know, right. reading about fatherhood, you can make the crossover to some degree to motherhood to understand that if I'm going to be married, I need to prepare myself for what? Well, mm-hmm. here's a lot of it. Right. So yeah. you might talk a little bit about uh, where the article came from for you and what motivated you and... Yeah, well, I have to give credit to my to, to my father and to my grandfather because they were they've been stand up uh, role models for me growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my my grandfather and grandmother were actually the first Catholics to get married in the Seminole Catholic Church. Oh, um, and so we have a long history of, of of you know good role models for 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 the family. But I was thinking about fatherhood and how. Uh, I was actually in adoration. I was thinking about how fatherhood plays such a unique role throughout the course of a man's life. You know, once you become a father, it, and it carries on until he until he passes away. Fatherhood mm-hmm. does, mm-hmm. but the role changes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then it led me to believe, like, think about well, how does that 
parallel with the spiritual life. And I kind of tried to make some connections there. One of the one of the some advice that a guy gave me one time, and I think it's just it's, it's wonderful advice for a new dad. Like you're you're about to you know you're about to welcome your first child, right? And it as any guy will know that that has welcomed his first child, it happens so fast, and there's a lot of emotions, and uh, sometimes you kind of you just realize, oh, it it's here, it's happened, right? And so he he told me to really try to engage all the senses that you possibly can. So the smell of the sterile room and the linen warm blankets, you know, the sounds of the heartbeat monitors and, and uh, the nurses giving words of encouragement, you know, the uh, being able to see the doctors there, but you're, you know, on one side and your, your wife on the other side, really engage as many senses as you can. Mm-hmm. Because when a child, when the screaming baby wrapped in those warm linen blankets is placed in your hands for the first time, uh, this feeling of love that like just engulfs you mm-hmm. uh, is is such a powerful moment, mm-hmm. and you want to be able to re- remember that. Yeah, because as every dad will know, that emotion quickly dissipates as you just, they just <laughs> let you leave the the hospital. There's no like yeah. test that you have to take to say, I'm yeah. going to be a good father. Yeah. They just say, good luck and let you leave the hospital. You right? have to go now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, no, no. You have to take this with you. Right. Yeah. Here's the baby. Good luck. Right. And and so these new responsibilities of of sleep, of sleepless nights, of, of trying to, you know, uh, cater to your wife as well and help her as much as you, you can. Um, it's... It, it's taxing and it can become frustrating and you can kind of like lose, lose your peace. But to be able to recall that moment mm-hmm. of the feeling of, I want to do everything I possibly can for the good of this child. Yeah. But I, I have had this thought before in working with couples getting married and so forth, uh, that <clears throat> if, if you, if you allow it to be, and if you will accept it as such and, and look for it even, mm-hmm. it helps with the frustration of the three in the morning and all of that. The knowledge that all I have to do in this life, the most important thing I will be able to do in this life, the most mm-hmm. important thing for me to accomplish in this life is the proper care of this soul, mm-hmm. my wife, these children. The more that a, that a man and or a woman, in the case of a woman, can get in touch with the fact that whatever happens in business happens, whatever other career I have, I have, whatever other honors or accomplishments I'm able to make, I make. But if I do this well, mm-hmm. I've done it all. Right. I've done all that my vocation calls me to do, all that God is calling for me to do. The most important thing that I have is right here. That that helps a person then, I think, to relax into, I don't have to go somewhere today. Right. (laughs) Here's what I've got. If I do this well, everything else I do will be good. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that has been my thought. Yeah. Um, Also, one of the things I liked about the article is that I think, naturally I would since I'm a priest, now a bishop, Mm -hmm that there's such wonderful parallels between everything that you're talking about in this article uh, and what 
priests as fathers uh, deal with or experience. And what ties them together is that they both arise out of the law of the gift, what Pope John Paul II used to call the law of the gift. The recognition that God has created me as the kind of creature that is completed and that finds completion in giving myself away in love to another. And so a father does that. This is also when we talk about the the difference and the similarity between celibate love and married love. Mm-hmm. Both are love. Mm-hmm. One is not a, a sublimation of love or a rejection of love. Both are ways of loving. A father is uh, practicing the law of the gift in the more focused way of his family and children, his wife and his children. Mm-hmm. And the celibate is practicing the law of the gift in this more dis, dis- uh, what's the word? Uh, di- diffuse way uh-huh. uh, of a parish or a group of people or or uh, serving God's people. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 we can re- relate to this, right? As a as a young father, or even as a young priest, right? When you get, I can imagine this would be the same thing. Like as a young father, the first thing is you, you just kind of want to you have. The desire to just help them from a natural perspective, right? I just want to keep you alive. Like, you know, I, I'm just trying to keep you alive. I want to feed you. <laughs> I want to make sure you're still sleeping, yeah. you know, and, and like, kind of like, I'm sure as a new priest, you get into a parish and you're like, I just want to keep everybody, you know, is everybody okay? Can we? Uh, well, the, like, here, here's how I think they're, they tie together. The There is a thing for new priests that I at least call it, the first time I did it list. Right. Oh, yeah. And it's yeah. going to be the same for a new father. Right. The first time I celebrated Mass, the first time I heard confession, the first time I did a marriage preparation, the first time I did a wedding, the first time I did et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So the father, the first time I changed the baby, the first time I fed the baby, the first time I got up in the middle of the night for the baby. Right. Well, and and as a father, you, you realize really quick that it becomes this like glorious self-martyrdom of what you want to do. Now, I, I circled that. I've got my copy of your article yeah. here, and I wanted you to to delve a little more into that glorious. Right. You don't usually see glorious and self martyrdom together in the same <laughs> sentence. Right, right, right. Well, but this is kind of like back to what John Paul II was just talking about, right? This law of love, you know, that that you realize that I'm made to give, you know, and I I, I want to, and you realize as I. Uh, take my desires and put them aside and say like, no, I don't want to do this, but I'm able to give to, to this other kid or to this child. Uh, it's so much more fulfilling, mm-hmm. right? You realize that this is what I'm made for. This mm-hmm. is like, God has made me to give, to give this. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be intentional and make this realization that, okay, I'm no longer putting, doing these things, not that they were bad, but that um, I'm, I, I no longer have a desire to do these for the sake of a, of a greater good. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is the same thing as whenever we start entering into a prayer life, right? You have to make sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to decide, oh, maybe I'm going to get up a little earlier so that way I can spend time with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Maybe I uh, block off Friday evenings with my family to read the gospel, the Sunday, upcoming Sunday reading gospel, so that way we, we know what the gospel is before we go into Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, not that uh, sleeping in is a bad thing, and not that Friday night going out is a bad thing. Right. But you're you're sacrificing these desires for a greater good. Right. 
Yeah, I, I have counseled people in confession. Sometimes people become very scrupulous about mm-hmm. prayer and about missing prayer. Oh, I haven't made my prayers. I haven't done my prayers and so forth. And uh, I've, I've suggested, think of prayer as chocolate cake. So <clears throat> that helps reorient the attitude. I personally love chocolate cake. <laughs> and so if an opportunity comes for me to eat it and I don't get to right. for some reason, then I'm going to feel sad. I'm not going to feel like I've done something wrong. Mm. I'm just going to feel sad because it's a great thing and I missed out on an opportunity. That, I think, is a better way to think through about prayer. I love prayer because it is time with my beloved, with God who I love. And if I miss it for some reason, I had to do something or I was running late or the traffic jam or whatever the thing, mm-hmm. I'm sad about that, but I don't accuse myself of, of being a sinner over it. I recognize there will be other opportunities and I want to take advantage of them. So it, it changes our, our attitude about prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't typically like to do things we don't do well. Right. If I really am not good at something, I'm not likely to have it as my hobby. Right. Except if it's golf. I guess a lot of people do that. <laughs> but golf in and of itself is just yeah. Golf is not my hobby. Yeah. But um, but uh, if and so if I constantly think, oh, I'm just terrible at prayer. I always miss it. I fall asleep in it. I'm too short. I'm distracted, whatever then I'm not going to pray much, and I'm not going to want to pray much because I'm constantly judging my prayer. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if I let go and recognize the Holy Spirit prays in me, mm-hmm. all I need to do is provide the time and the place, mm-hmm. and then pray as best I can and not judge it at all, mm-hmm. not have any thought about it. It's up to God to decide about it. Then I'll pray well, mm-hmm. and then I'll look forward to praying knowing that I pray well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and then you realize as a dad, as the as the baby starts like go, becoming a toddler, right? That your 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 mind starts shifting a little bit. Your your duties start shifting. Like I no longer have to worry about him sleeping or eating. Like those things are kind of on lockdown. But now we're entering into the the terrible two stage, right? Yeah. The terrible twos and threes, where their their will, their desire to do things is very self centered. You know, is very like uh, you have to start teaching them. The things to do right, the things to do wrong. You know, the, the, this is what you do wrong, right, and you, you you can do this. This is what's wrong, and we, and we don't do this. Plus, he can escape the house now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you got to make sure that all the doors are locked. Yeah, that's get, right. And get in trouble now. That's right. Yeah, and you start having to teach them these, you know, these natural goods, right? These natural things of being able to, uh, you know, share. A perfect example. You have a child. Uh, and and friend child comes over and they get, they're in the playroom and they sit down and the friend child goes and grabs a toy that has not been moved in eight months like it has dust on it you know what happens well that, your your kid <laughs> that's the only toy that that kid ever wants to play with and he loves that toy so much and you know he just that's the only thing I want to play with he'll kill over it right yeah yeah just I mean and, and you, you're sitting there witnessing and you're like that toy hasn't been picked up in eight months. <laughs> But it's an opportunity, right, to, to teach them, like, no, 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 this, you know, you have to be uh, generous. Like, we have to share, like, and, and uh, share these toys with one another. And so, like, you have to, like, train them to 
you know, to these natural virtues have have, have to be trained and, mm -hmm. and like instilled. Yeah, you speak of a recognition, a realization that your role as a father is changing and developing, even as the the first child that you have is changing and developing. And the same too, I think, for married couples. Uh, naturally, couples who are about to be married, unless someone has invited them to do it, they probably haven't spent a lot of time thinking about our life together as we're raising babies, mm -hmm. our life together as we're raising uh, preteens, our life together as we're raising teenagers, our life together when the kids are all gone from the house. Right. But those are all useful things to think about because knowing that there's this whole set of phases that you're going to go through gives you a wider context out of which to experience any one of them, mm -hmm. and particularly the first one. Mm -hmm. Because I think that couples have a sort of a natural fear of the first one because, oh my goodness, everything they hear from, <laughs> right. from parents about being up all night and colicky children and all the stuff. But if you think through that there's only a certain number of years of our life together when we can even have children. Right. We will age out. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Within a relatively short time. So we really should consider the fact that this gift of fertility that we have together, this ability to create children with God, mm -hmm. is a limited good. Right. So how do we want to be good stewards of that limited good, right? That's right. Yeah, and as you're teaching them, I realized very quickly, this is a, a, a lot of self-reflection, really, when, when you're reading this, right? So I'm, I'm teaching my children, you know, uh, you know, Luke, make sure you don't have your elbows on the table while we're eating, as I have my elbow on the table <laughs> as we're eating, you know, and I realized very quickly uh, some of the things that I have maybe gotten lax on or, or maybe that, that I, didn't, I didn't know I wasn't doing well, right? And so, like, this fatherhood... Uh, portion of, of, of teaching your children really shows a reflection and, and reveals a lot to the teacher, mm -hmm. namely to the dad. Right. Right. And this is so beautiful in in the prayer in your prayer life. Right. So as you decide to I'm, I'm going to make time, I'm going to be intentional in, in, in prayer life. Well, what happens is that Christ shows you you and who you really are. Mm -hmm. And he shows you, you know, some of the, maybe your faults that you didn't even realize were some of your faults. Mm hmm. Uh, so that you can, uh, you know, do better and, and grow closer to Him. Right. But you start seeing yourself as Christ sees you. Right. Yeah, never for the purpose of accusation. No. And always for the purpose of further cleansing us so that we can be closer to Him because He knows that's what our ultimate happiness is. That's right. And, I mean, that's the same thing with our children, right? Like, I'm not accusing, uh, I'm not making accusations of elbows on the table at dinner, you know, just for the sake of, of doing that, but that I want you to be a well-mannered son mm -hmm. uh, because that's what you're made to be. Mm -hmm. And yes, so it's this, it's kind of the same principle. And it's important as you're disciplining your children to keep that in mind, right? I'm not being a, a, a tyrant. I'm not trying to belittle them, mm -hmm. but I'm doing this because I love you. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, I know that if you grow up to be an unruly unattractive because unruly, um, passion-driven, you know, driven by your passions as opposed to having passions that you can 
channel mm-hmm. a person, you won't be happy. That's right. And I want you to be happy. I love you, and so I want you to be happy. Yeah, uh, I highly recommend if you're uh, you know, a parent to, to look at Catechism 2223. It is a beautiful paragraph. It's easy to remember, 2223. Uh, but in, in here, like, the whole paragraph, I'd love to, you know, I'm not going to read it. I'm yeah. not going to read it all, but uh, but it's just, it's such a beautiful paragraph and so helpful. And it really speaks to kind of what you were talking about, Bishop. He says uh, that that the parents have the first responsibility to educate their children and that they bear witness to this responsibility by creating a home where tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service are the rule. Right. And the home is well suited for the education of the virtues, right? And that this requires frequent uh, an apprenticeship of self denial, of sound judgment, and self mastery, because it's the preconditions for for all true freedom, which right. is what you're what you're right. mentioning. Yeah, and and again, I go back to thinking, the couple who's engaged, or the young man and or young woman, haven't they're not even dating someone yet, maybe. Mm-hmm. But who reads that and takes seriously, in a few years, this could be me. Mm -hmm. That fills a content about what it means to say vocation to the married life, vocation to family life. That gives me a content that I can begin to work on, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being a kind of an amorphous... Right. I yeah. don't know what it'll be. Yeah, I mean, and that gives you the foundation, right? Which is what you want to do as a father. You want to build this natural virtue foundation for your child to build upon, right? Because as they are growing, then they kind of go out. Of, they start growing out of all of their Daniel Tiger t-shirts, mm-hmm. you know, and they're growing into, you know, fishing shirts and all these other things. Well, your role as a father is continually growing, and, right. and you're, you're growing into different roles as a father. Right. They're becoming, they're having their age of reason, like they're starting to understand for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And so it's your your job as a father to cultivate these virtues within the home that they can build upon um, because you want them, you want to establish those virtues in them, in the home, not for the sake of the home, mm-hmm. but so that they can go out and evangelize and make disciples of all of, of yeah. all nations, like Jesus ta- taught us. But partly for the sake of the home. Well, for for, for the uh, <laughs> yes, yes, maybe a secondary, you know, or, or maybe a, a, not a primary role, but 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 definitely uh, order in the home is very very important. Well, and I heard my mother say that once that someone commented that she must have been a strict disciplinarian, and uh, she she replied. I could not afford not to be because I had 12 children. I could right. not afford for there to just be chaos right. in the home. So the children needed to learn how to live together and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're writing, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, yes. Yeah. Yes, all those things. You t- you use the term here, um, language sets the tone for building a culture. I wonder if many uh, couples even think in those terms, there is a culture in the home. Mm-hmm. Our house will have a culture. We're the ones who are going to build that culture. What do we want that culture to be like? What do we want its values to be? Those are worthy conversations for young couples to have. Mm-hmm. But I liked where you, where you said you're teaching him to say, 
thank you, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and then you ask yourself, but did I even thank my wife for dinner this evening? That's right. right. Yeah. I mean, again, it's this uh, self-reflection that ends up happening. You know, as you're teaching your children, you start realizing like, oh, yeah, you, this is how you should behave. Oh, wait, am I behaving that way? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a good examination of conscience. Yes, naturally so. Right. And uh, your your comments here about teaching your boy to be able to be quiet. Mm, yes. And you're, you say, my goal was to get him comfortable with being quiet so that it would translate on Sundays. And I thought, what? You mean parents have ulterior motives? <laughs> what? <laughs> Not for its own sake? <laughs> there's a, there's a, a dual motive there, yes. But it's, I do think there's, there's uh, just practical wisdom here. You can't expect him to learn how to be quiet one hour a week. Mm-hmm. If he only has to practice being quiet while you're at Mass, that's going to be miserable for everybody. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be happy because he doesn't know how to do it. You're not going to be happy because you think he has to learn how to do this, but at home he's not learning how to be quiet. Right. So it has to happen at home, and then he can translate it to Mass. Yeah. Yeah. And it creates really good opportunities uh, within the home, right? Like we we play with Legos, but like we're all going to be quiet and Mm -hmm. just play with Legos together. Or Dad's going to read a book, and we're all just going to be quiet. You can sit and play you color or do whatever you want while dad reads, but we're all going to be quiet. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably so important. I mean, parents can tell me if I'm all wet, but uh, to read to kids, mm-hmm. to spend time, because that's a very sedate uh, bonding kind of a an experience. Mm-hmm. For children to be able to sit with a parent and read, uh, I, I think that would be very important. Yeah. And as I mean, as parents, you, you, you want to set your kids up for success, right? Mm-hmm. So expecting them to be quiet for one hour a week uh, without any kind of practice is yeah. not really setting them up for success. Right. Um, now, kids are going to be kids. And like when they're when they scream in mass, like, it's OK. No, don't don't panic. In, in my in my experience, the parents are the ones that are panicking the most, yes. not the people around them. Right. Right. But I, I get that. And I understand that parents... Father, save us. Here's my prayer. Father, save us from priests who themselves have little patience with that. Uh, Priests need to develop that patience with that. Um, Parents need to be simply helped. Mm -hmm. Other parents around you need to help you. Mm -hmm. I do think that it can reach a level where it's not going to happen. Right. In this moment, we're trying to do this inside so they can see, which helps them to uh, pay attention and be quiet. But sometimes they do just melt. Right. And when there's just a full-blown meltdown going on, then I think it makes sense to go out for a moment. Uh, let calm them, them down. Calm them down. Yeah. But in general, I think for them to be there and to go through some of those with some uh, some patience from everyone else. Mm -hmm. I I told people that I used to um, do chaplaincy work in the hospital when I was in seminary. I did some CPE work. And um, I was assigned to pediatric intensive care, pediatric floor, and PDICU, uh, PD um, uh, oncology. Mm. And so one of the things I learned in the PDICU 
is that very, very sick children don't make any noise. Hmm. It was always very quiet in the PDICU, just machines beeping. And that gave me an appreciation for noisy children hmm. because noisy children are healthy children. That's right. And we're a pro-life church. <laughs> right. You know? Children who are, who are feeling their oats, which we hope children feel, are going to make noise. Over time, they'll learn. Right. And that's good to be teaching them. But if parents get frazzled, uh, that doesn't help them to calm down. Right. 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 Which and, and again, the parallel here to the spiritual life is is very interesting because when you make time for prayer, you know, and you're you're entering into maybe the 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 early stages of your prayer life, right? It's filled a lot of times, at least for me, was. Uh, Lord, give me the strength to do this. Lord, please pray for. I'm praying for this person or that. person. you know, I'm I'm constantly. Please give me this, and and I'm I'm asking a lot. I'm talking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more you stay, the more you're in your prayer life. Our Lord teaches us when we should be talking and when not to talk. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, let you be silent, right, and just be with me, right. Um, and so I thought th- I thought that was a, a a really beautiful parallel. How as we continue to grow as a father, and we're teaching our children how, when to when to make noise, when and how to make noise, and mm-hmm. when not to make noise. Our Father in heaven is doing the same thing, right. helping us in prayer life when we should be talking, and then just be with me. Yeah, and there's an intentionality about all of this that you're writing about forming this culture. What are the virtues we want to form in them? At what age, and so forth an intentionality about all that that is going to, I would think, enrich the life and the intimacy and the communication between the, the mother and the father. Mm-hmm. Because you'll need to be communicating about these things. Right. What do we want to teach them? How do we want the culture of our home to be? What do we want the values to be for them? How do we want them to learn it? How long should it take, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Yeah, setting up expectations and, and, mm-hmm. and communication with your, with your wife is, is incredibly important. This, this question that you have in the paragraph where you're talking about uh, establishing a routine of sacramental life, what do Sundays look like in our house? Mm-hmm. I used to ask that direct question uh, often to couples who were uh, in mixed faith uh, engagement, you know, an engagement between a Catholic and someone who's not Catholic, because they're going to go through those questions with the prenuptial questionnaire that talk about does the Catholic have the expectation and is the non-Catholic partner uh, open to allowing the Catholic to have this expectation that I'm going to pass on the Catholic faith to my children mm-hmm. by having them baptized and reared as Catholics, which means Sunday Mass, the sacraments, and so forth. Those things need to be discussed before the marriage. Makes it a lot easier. Because it could it could result in discovering, no, there are some things that we cannot agree on here. Mm-hmm. Better to know that beforehand than than, than might, after, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, and and so this is what we want to do is is we want, as as Catholic parents is we want to establish the, a, a sacramental life, a, a routine of a sacramental a sacramental life within the home. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and what does that mean? Well, like you said, like well, what what, are, what do Sundays look like? Well, this is a joy. We're Alleluia people, like mm-hmm. like John Paul said, right? You know, Alleluia is our song. Uh, we should be filled with joy, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Sunday is a sacred day, and sacred just means like to be set apart. Mm-hmm. So Sundays should look different right. than all the other days. It shouldn't be a day of just trying to get all my 
another day to get all my work done, right. you know, but, but no, this is the time to celebrate with our family and friends, mm -hmm. uh, and, and have a, a, a leisurely day. Yeah. And I think it would be important for parents to, to think through, again, we were talking about fortitude in one of the other podcasts, mm -hmm. uh, for parents to think through what do we want Sunday to look like because that may affect what activities we enroll the children in mm -hmm. because certainly many families are are forced into a situation that makes it hard to observe Sunday because the kids are signed up in all kinds of activities that happen on Sundays. That's right. And so then the whole family is thrown into uh, turmoil trying to understand how we're going to get to this practice and that game and this thing and that thing and mass. Mm -hmm. And God yeah. forbid that mass become the thing that we have to let go of. Right. Yeah. And that's a real struggle for parents, right? Is to how do I balance this? Because sports are a good thing. Extracurricular activities are a good thing, right? right? But when it comes on Sunday, you know, is Sunday's the day that we go to mass and then we can also do other things? Mm -hmm. Or is Sunday the day that we do all these things and try to get mass into the schedule. Right. And I think that that a way to examine the conscience about it is, what if I made Sunday the non-negotiable? Right. What if I made mass the non-negotiable and fit everything else in around that? What does that look like? It doesn't mean that there can't be sports or these other things. It may mean that they have to take place in a different way mm -hmm. or on different teams or with different leagues or whatever. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so another one I, I briefly mentioned on is, is confession, mm -hmm. right? Because, yeah. uh, we, we have all, uh, calendar. I don't know about you, Bishop, but I live by a calendar. Everybody does. Yeah. If it's not on the calendar, it's just not happening. Right. Yes. Um, and so I kind of made this, this parallel that we, uh, have, uh, sports on our calendars. We have other events, we have birthdays, we have anniversaries, we have all these things that are on our calendars. Well, we also need to make sure that we put on our calendar, you know, to go to, to confession together as a family, mm -hmm. uh, you know, once a month or once every six weeks, when it, how, how often you can. And really, not only for the sake of, um, you know, to, 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 to receive the reconciliation, but also I want my, my children to know that their dad needs the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to set that example because... Eventually, my sons are going to look at me and say, like, this is what a father is supposed to be, and I want right. them to know that a father needs right. the love and mercy of Jesus. And my right. daughter, when she goes and looks for, you know, a potential um, suitor, you know, yes. a, a potential husband, she's. I want her to think, oh, well, a husband is a man who prays and who goes and, and receives Jesus' mercy. Right. And so I want to go together as a family— so that we we can all go together and they see that dad needs Jesus just like right. they need Jesus. Yeah, I think that showing them that strength is dependent and not independent. Strength, you know, I'm a strong man doesn't mean I'm independent of God. It means I'm dependent on God. I'm able to be a strong man because I'm dependent on God. That's right. And I mean, John Paul II has this beautiful line in here where he affirms to this very saying where he talks about that the father introduces the children into the living experience of, the, of Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. like, so he's the gateway. I mean, he's the one who shows this is what Christ, you know, shows, shows them Christ and shows them the church. And that's the that sociological data. I don't remember now where the, the study had come from, but a study that 
demonstrated that the father's practice of the faith or not is the primary indicator for whether the children will in the future practice the faith or not. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is the point, so to, to bring it back kind of the parallel of the spiritual life, right? So this, as you're establishing your children, just like as your teacher, teaching your children, you kind of realize, oh, here's my weak spots. As, as, as you're establishing your children to live this virtuous life, to, to build this habit up, Mm-hmm. you in turn also are building this habit up. Yeah, sure. And like you're establishing yourself. Sure. Uh, and you're finally becoming this man that you're, you've desired to yeah. be because you're living this virtuous life. Yeah. Yeah, I think the man who's at Mass a year after his wedding, who now has a baby with him, is praying in a new and deeper way because it's clicking. Oh, this is why I need God. Oh, my goodness, do I need God. Mm-hmm. It changes a man. Yes. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, the same for the, again, a parallel with the priesthood. The, the, the priest who has been praying the office all through seminary because he prays the office, it's part mm-hmm. of being a seminarian, but who now is a priest and is has been given the care of some souls mm-hmm. in a parish and now is praying for them mm-hmm. in the office. Oh, yeah, okay, This I, I understand this in a deeper way. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too how the culture. You hear this this phrase all the time, and I think they don't really mean a whole lot by it. But you hear this this phrase like, "Well, as soon as you know, I just got to get them to raised it to eighteen, and then they're out of the house." You know, and like as a dad, you hear this, you hear like, "Well, you know, once they're eighteen, they're out of the house, they're on their own." Well, th- there's a, there's some truth to that, right? Yeah. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that fatherhood stops when they leave the home. Right. It doesn't mean that, oh, your job now is done as a father. Um, it looks different, but that doesn't mean you're not you're not a father anymore. Right. Um, uh, St. Paul has this beautiful, uh, when he's talking uh, to the Corinthians, he talks about, do not be deceived because bad company can ruin good morals. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that is very important as a father, that you start praying uh, for the friends that they're, they're surrounded by, the the community the church community and the community they're around surrounded by and then also their future spouse potential mm-hmm. future spouse right um, it's really interesting that as a father you, you know you, you, it does look a little different but it's very similar to the prayer life that once you've lived this virtuous you're living this virtuous life you're no longer having to worry about like your needs as much because mm-hmm. your appetites aren't you know in control of your life and you're not worried about um, as much as your, of yourself, but you can now look out more and mm. what, what are the needs of my, my family, my community, right. my country, uh, and you can start being an intercessor in those aspects. Mm. Well, it's the same thing with fatherhood, right? Like you're no longer uh, as concerned about making sure that they are alive or you're no longer concerned about making sure that they understand natural virtues or, and you've kind of established these moral virtues into them. Well, now the the scope can kind of widen a little bit, and you can start praying for their friends mm-hmm. and their family because you can build all this stuff up, and then, like as Saint Paul says, bad company can ruin good morals. Sure. Yeah. All along the way, you've been affecting their community, the community they are around. Um, when I was growing up. There was a family, the Patkeys, that lived across the highway from from us, 
They had nine kids. We had 12. They're, our oldest four were the same age, more or less, as their youngest four. So their older siblings were some of our first babysitters. Okay. And it was a joke around our houses that, uh, you know, we were at each other's houses all the time, especially in the summer. And when everybody needed a whooping, everybody got a whooping, and it didn't matter whose kid or whose parent was doing the whooping. <laughs> if everybody got in trouble, everybody got in trouble. Yep. And um, I think of that kind of uh, forming the community, you know? Yeah. Uh, where you recognize that it's not just my kids. I need the kids my kids are with to also be uh, virtuous people. Yeah, and I didn't know this until later on in life, uh, but... As soon as I, you know, left to go to college, my my parents and my grandparents specifically and intentionally prayed together mm. for me and for my the people that I was around. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, for better or for worse, then I started hanging out with David Niles a lot more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, they did good. Yeah, no, they did good. Yeah, I'm just I'm just giving them a hard time. David's been my best friend for, since I'm five, so I'm giving him a hard time. But, sure. Um, but yes, you have this like more of a foresight as a father uh, of knowing like uh, from your experiential knowledge, like, oh, man, I acted different when I was around this group that mm-hmm. I, like, golly, I, I would have never done that. But now I was in this group and everybody was doing it. And so I did. I mean, uh, St. Augustine talks about this in his confessions, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he steals a pear as a young boy, not because he was hungry, not because he even liked pears, but because... The people around him were doing it. His buddies right. were doing it. Right. Um, and so it's just so important to, to, to be praying as a father for, uh, for, for your children, even after they are out of the house, so to speak. And then that other phase comes along of grandfatherhood. That's right. So it just keeps going. Right. Yeah. It, I, I love this, that uh, in the nuptial blessings, they say, may, the ble- may they be blessed with children and mm. prove themselves virtuous parents who live to see their children's children. It is a great line, yeah. And that's just so great, right? Yeah. It's almost like the fullness of fatherhood. Yeah. And I used to suggest to engaged couples, take a, a Saturday, you know, when you don't have anything else going on, and sit and talk with one another about what you want the day of your 50th wedding anniversary to be like. Mm. Who do you want to be there? What do you want to happen? What activities are going to go on? Uh, what are people likely to say, etc.? To dream about that, to think through, wow, we're, we're going to get married, and we want to still be married 50 years from now. And in that time, we will have established this family. Uh, what do we want that to be like? Again, I think it has to do with context and content. It lets them at an early age begin to tap into the wisdom, mm-hmm. that the wisdom figures that they will become, mm-hmm. because they can already forecast and begin to vision and think about what would we like that day to be like? Then how do we get from here to there? That's right. If I don't know where there is, I'm not going to ask, how do I get from here to there? Mm-hmm. If I've already thought about where there is, I'm going to start thinking in more practical ways and real real life ways. How do I get from here to there? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once you, once you are, are, are a grandfather, your scope even widens a little bit more, right? With, with mortality ever present, you know, you start really being able to think about what's 
what was the most important things in, in life? Mm-hmm. You know, what really worked well? Mm-hmm. And, and what did I spend a lot of time and maybe money and energy on that didn't really satisfy me all that much? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember my grandfather, it, when, when it came to like celebrations or, you know, anniversaries or birthdays or holidays, he and my grandmother would, would take a moment uh, before opening presents at Christmas or whatever and sit down in front of the fireplace and, and address the family for a second. And he would just tell us how much he loved us, uh, tell us like, you know, uh, the, the importance of prayer, the importance of uh, making sure that we pass on our faith to our children, live out our faith. And he'd always conclude, uh, I remember this, he, 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 always, he always concluded with, uh, you would never go wrong with doing what's right. That's right. Uh, and the teenagers would all be saying, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. That's right. But and yet they love it. Right. They may not even know why they love it. But they love it. Right. And they would miss it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're planting these seeds, right? Like, you know, I, I'm, th- I'm talking about this, you know, 20 years later and still it, it made an impact on me. He, he did a great job mm-hmm. of, of passing on that faith. Yeah. Um, and then so similarly, I make this analogy of, with the spiritual life, how as you're, as you're growing in your spiritual life, uh, you enter into this level of contemplation mm-hmm. uh, of of you're no longer really having to do much as far as act active wise. You're allowing Christ to to do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, as a, as a grandfather, you're not necessarily doing a whole lot as far as raising kids and doing all this stuff, but you get to uh, pass on the things that are, are worthy of passing on. Sure. Yeah, and that's the, the wisdom figure in a family mm-hmm. uh, to be able to do that. And they're important. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of times in this, in, in this culture, like we kind of... Uh, undermined grandparents or, or, or elders. and Pope Francis has spoken a lot about that. That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly right. And I think that that's, that, that's not something that, that's a tragedy because they, they have a lot to give and a lot of wisdom to give. And then you talk about uh, the spiritual life in, in the cycle of fatherhood. And again, I was thinking of the parallel. The, the priest is also a sanctifier. Sanctifier is the person who provides the sacramental life that's what fathers do for their families through making sure that they understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and ultimately, kind of the goal of a Christian father, right, is to raise saints. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we want to do. We want, we want to raise saints. Uh, and I, I mentioned in there that one day, you know, on your death, you, you, you mentioned how you're thinking about your 50th anniversary, right, uh, and what it wants to look like. Well, another way of, is, like, look at what your deathbed's going to look like. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and, and and who's going to be in there, and and what you would want to hear, and what would mm-hmm. give you comfort. Right, and the ultimate comfort I think that I could I could imagine on my deathbed is that my children thank me for giving me a glimpse of the love of our Father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I mean that's to me that that would be the ultimate comfort as I know knowing that I've passed on this tradition. Yeah, I've passed on this faith. Um, and I've given them a glimpse. My love has given them a glimpse of the Father's love. Yeah, yeah. And and there, you have established in them your your love for them, the way that you have cared and raised them, has provided for them the foundation of hope, mm-hmm. out of which they can face even your death, knowing that okay, life is going to be okay. Um, there's going to be sadness and grieving and loss, but we have hope because right. we have the Lord. Yeah. 
so, you know, on this father, you know, on this uh, month of, of where we celebrate fathers, you know, I just want to encourage the men to be men of prayer. You know, what does a Christian father look like? He, he's, he's a man of prayer. Um, and, and to take his role seriously as a father and to yeah. take his role seriously as a husband um, and to, to love, love them, love the children. And like, un, like, remember that moment when you're holding them for the first <laughs> yeah. time and that unconditional love that you have for them. That little loaf. That's right. Now, let's end with this prayer that you ended the article with. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a prayer for protection of the children in temptation. O oh God, to how many and great temptations of body and soul are my children exposed? And how insufficient is the protection I can give them? Yes, Lord, in vain I watch over them if thou dost not assist me. But if they dwell in the aid of the Most High and abide under the protection of the God of Jacob, how contented may I not be. Receive then, O Lord, my children under thy protection. Keep them far from all dangers of soul and body. Give them health, but above all, protect them from danger to their souls. Keep far from them all that may exercise a hurtful influence on their young hearts and become an occasion of sin to them. Preserve them from sin. Send thy holy angels to keep them in all their ways, that they may bear them up in their hands, lest they dash their feet against a stone. O Almighty God and Father, lead my children through the dangers and storms of this life that they may enter safely into the haven of salvation. Amen. Amen. Very good. Thank you, uh, Adam, for the article. I look forward to seeing it in our Sunday Visitor. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for, for letting us do it. And thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.